0: and welcome to Connected Conversations for Creatives, a place for creatives like you, where you can learn, grow, and connect. I'm your host, Jennifer Carr. Mental health is an increasingly crucial topic in today's fast-paced and demanding world, touching the lives of millions across the globe. For creative individuals, the intersection of mental health and creativity is particularly significant. Creativity often thrives in this delicate balance between inspiration and turmoil. However, anxiety and depression can be formidable adversaries for creative minds. Creative individuals, be they artists, writers, musicians, or designers, they possess a unique mental landscape that spoke the source of inspiration and susceptibility. The very qualities that make creative minds innovative, imagination, sensitivity, introspection, also makes them susceptible to mental health challenges. The pressure to constantly produce new and original work can lead to self-doubt, perfectionism, and burnout. This in turn can give rise to anxiety and depression, two of the most common mental health issues. Today's guest is Brian Sacchetta, a software developer, author, blogger, and mental health advocate who has built a brand around teaching people how to get out of their head and get to the root of their mental health struggles in a strategic and straightforward way. Whether you're a creative trying to balance that fine line between creativity and your mental wellness, or you're just here for the sake of learning, we're glad you're joining us because today's show is going to be a wealth of information. So, without further delay, I'd like to welcome Brian to the show. Brian, thank you for being here.
1: Hey, Jennifer. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So, let's start with you telling us about yourself and how you found yourself on the path to building Get Out of Your Head.
1: For sure. Yeah. So, You know, by trade, I'm a software developer, went to school for that and some business stuff. Um, And then after school, started uh, putting those skills to use, right? Got a bunch of jobs as a software developer, started working in that field at, you know, startups and stuff like that. But along the way, it was like throughout my entire life or most of life that I can remember, I had always dealt with anxiety and depression, right? And in my 20s, it started to really peak and and, and even in my teens too, but like, it was like, okay, so from maybe 18 to 25, it was this crucial period where it was like, I'm really struggling with this stuff now. And I don't know how to make sense of it. As I got closer to 25, and even to 30 and whatnot, I finally started to make some strides with both of those conditions. And some of it is, you know, there's a creative aspect and root and story there. And some of it was just me, like, you know, struggling with this stuff, but then finding some solutions. And so, I I can't really say that I like sat down and I was like, I know that I'm a creative now and I'm going to create all this stuff. Right. All I know is that I came up with these different solutions for myself that some of them I felt like really worked and, and were really valuable. And I think when you spend so much time, right. If, if, if somebody is listening and they're like, I, I'm, I've been anxious my whole life. I've been depressed my whole life, or I've dealt with that a lot in the past. It becomes such a big part of you, right. It becomes mm-hmm. such a big part of your emotional life. And I, you know, I struggle to find the right words because I say it becomes so important to you. It's it, the, the difficulty with saying it that way is like, nobody would say like, anxiety is so important to me. I love anxiety, right? It's more just that it it's a part of you and your history and, and your emotions are wrapped up in it. And so as I started to make progress, I was like, I am so invested in this because I've been through a lot of pain myself. And I look around and I see the pain that other people are dealing with as they struggle with anxiety and depression. So I started to talk to some folks and they were like, wow, you you know, you're really educated in this space. Like, how did you come up with all this, whatever? And the content that I had produced for myself, uh, you know, obviously with the help of a lot of different people and therapists and thought leaders and whatnot, eventually I was like, okay, I have enough content here where I feel as though the right thing to do. And the thing that I want to do is share it with the world in some capacity. So that led to me eventually creating the Get Out of Your Head brand, which now has a couple books in it, a bunch of blog posts, podcast appearance and stuff like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, right, the mission, no matter it's like, Obviously, it's great to sell books and make some money and whatnot, but like the mission at the end of the day is to help people. Because I know, like, oh, I know that feeling, and I I empathize with people because it is so brutal at times.
0: It really is, and I you know I've struggled with my own past at, with mental health and and depression um, and anxiety as well. Not not as much as I did with depression, but um, I think one of the hardest things is we're we're afraid to talk about it. There's there are stigmas that surround it, and um, people are ashamed. At least that that was my experience. You know, it was based on my upbringing and that kind of thing. Um, And so to be able to put it out there and be like, hey, it's okay to say that you are struggling with X, Y, or Z um, or a combination of those things. And let me provide you with some solutions that have worked for me and also have worked for other people. And so I think it's a very worthy cause. And yeah, if you can sell some books in the end, that's also a very thoughtful <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, so let's spout off some stats real quick, and then I'm going to ask you a question uh, that kind of goes alongside them. Um, so For software engineers, there are about 15% who report struggling with anxiety and depression, which I thought was kind of actually a low number, but the burnout rate is around 83%. And for artists, there's this range that ranges from 15% to about 50%, but that encompasses like writers and painters. But then musicians, their rate of anxiety and depression is around 73% with a 60% burnout rate. So to me, like for creatives, the numbers seem a lot higher. Um, So why do you think that creatives find themselves struggling with anxiety and depression more than a software engineer or a marriage and family counselor.
1: For sure. I think maybe the answer here is a little bit of like chicken and egg, right? So it's like, who are you and what does that do to your mental health? And then also like, what are you doing and how does that contribute to your mental health? So let's talk about an artist, right? So first off, like, you know some of the you provided. Thank you very much for those. Those are amazing. Mm-hmm. I had written down a couple that I'll just touch on real quick. Which was mm-hmm. basically that artists and writers are twenty times more likely to develop bipolar uh, uh, bipolar disorder, and then ten times more likely to experience depression than the general population. Um, and then you know on average, those same folks are uh, I guess you know if we just say creative folks right are more likely to experience anxiety uh, than the general population. Let's look at first like the the sort of question of like, who are you, right? So if you are a creative, right, a lot of people will say like creativity doesn't always have to, but it can come from pain, right so sometimes you see a painting and you're and somebody will say, "Wow, that's so beautiful, like it captures the human experience and whatnot, and it may be beautiful, but it's it's not quote unquote like sexy, right because it's like it's dealing with some it's expressing some difficult part of the human condition or whatever it may be and so You think about those emotions and you say, okay, a lot of people will sometimes say that artists are more likely to experience those emotions in general, right? And then that is what sort of becomes the catalyst to allow them to create their art, or it becomes the driver that says like, you got to do something with these emotions, right? So that's kind of like who you are. Maybe, right, Um, your nature is saying you're wired this way. And you're going to feel these emotions in general. And that's going to lead you, right, to want to take up a creative profession or outlet. The next piece of it is like, what are you doing, right? So if you are an artist, let's say a musician or a painter or whatever, like just think about tactically speaking, how difficult that is for most people, right? You you look at some of the statistics around writing. And I think they say that like the average book sells like 100 copies, maybe 500 max. And it's really this long tail, or I forget exactly which term you want to put on it, but but basically it's like to the victor go the spoils, right? So there are a, a small number of authors who have sold millions of books and have made a lot of money. And so for someone like myself, I look at that and I'm like, this is awesome. I could make a ton of money. And I'm not trying to be negative at all. I'm just trying to be realistic that odds are the average author is not going to sell millions of books. And so then you think about answering that question of like, what do you do, right? Um, If you are an author, if you are a painter and you are selling your art, it becomes difficult. It can become difficult to put food on the table to make ends meet, right? So there's there's the first piece of like, what is sort of your DNA and your makeup? And then there is also like, how does the anxiety, how does the depression possibly emerge in your life? And I would say, right, like from my own perspective, like I'm a software developer by trade. I luckily get paid well to do that. um, And that allows me to write on the side because I can kind of keep the bank account afloat. If I had no choice and I was like, you know, I, I don't have software development skills or I am dead set on just doing the writing. I'm thinking to myself, like, to be totally honest, my book, I've sold plenty of books. You know, I think my first book, book sold like 25,000 copies yet. A lot of those copies are promotional copies that sell for a lower price. And so I know that like, even though the venture is profitable most months, like let's say after in a lawyer to like fight a trademark case or something like that, all of a sudden that profit is out the window. Even if we ignore that for a minute and we just say, I have to go make a living selling my books, selling my paintings. That's a very difficult thing to do. And so again, it's like, every month when the electricity bill rolls around and the car bill rolls around and whatnot, you may be saying to yourself, like, how am I going to make ends meet? And that is, you know, sort of like the basis of anxiety right there. So there's a lot of different ways that those emotions could arise in creatives. But I think it's important to talk about all the different aspects, because it's definitely multifaceted.
0: It really is. And I think that um, a lot of it we do bring on ourselves as creatives because there's always this pressure to perform or um, whether or not we're putting it on ourselves or we're, you know, getting it from the outside. If you know, you have a publisher who's saying, Hey, here's your expectations. I'll live up to it. Or you just yourself are that kind of person. That's me. I am the internal expectation person that is constantly putting the pressure on herself. And I have to take a step back and say, Hey, you're doing this to yourself again and, and take a step like chill. Um, And that's what usually leads to burnout too, is that, you know, these expectations that we think are there or may actually be there are causing us to spin our wheels harder and faster and harder and faster. And then we're like, okay, have I even made it the next step? You know, I, I don't know. Um, And also we overthink a lot of things. I think we, um, so the internal factors, you know, the expectations, the overthinking, but also isolation, like, being an, an artist is a very isolating thing. And so when we you know, like put ourselves in our little bubble and say, Hey, I'm being creative right now. Um, we tend to find ourselves missing a very important component of being human and that's connection. And so um, I think all of those things working together, you know, whether it's in your DNA or whether it's uh, circumstances you've put yourself in, I think that creatives really are more susceptible to anxiety and depression and a host of other mental health disorders, the bipolar stat that kind of surprises me because a lot of times bipolar is not, um, an environmental thing. Like that's not typically how that works. It's usually a genetic situation, whether it was passed down or there's a genetic, you know, malformation in, in the human development process. Um, and so that surprises me. And then that makes you again, ask that question, you know, what was there first was the bipolar there first, or was the creative side there first? So I really, that, that was a very cool fact. I mean, statistics.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and you made some great points there. I, you know, on the bipolar side <laughs> and on the statistics themselves, like I don't claim to know why the, the statistics are the way they are just kind of passing along the information and saying like, yeah. Hey, me, Maybe we need to look out for some of these things, right? Oh,
0: for sure. And, you know, with bipolar, you're talking, you've got your manic states, which are like these really heightened emotional and mental states. And so... um people with bipolar very easily could just be more creative because their brain is kicking into overdrive at this point when they're having a manic state. And then they hit that depressive point where they're like, okay, I'm shutting down. And, you know, medication balances that out as well. So, you know, there, there is that factor, but um, so there, there are lots of reasons. I mean, there's probably research studies that have been done on it. I just, I had never heard it really put together that bipolar and creatives, but it makes sense. It really does make sense. And, um, as someone who has battled depression in the past and, and confronts her anxiety regularly, I really appreciate a direct approach. And this is how I am when I'm in a counseling session with somebody who you know, has come to me and said, Hey, I need help. Um, or whatever the case may be. Um, I really like direct approaches and sometimes I'm a little too direct. And um, so when, when I do talk to people, I let them know, I'm like, Hey, we are doing really hard honesty. Like, this is how I function. This is how, because I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm not going to, I will hold your hand while looking you in the eye and saying, stop it. You know, like that's that's kind of where I am. Um, I mean, obviously I do a little more gracefully, but uh, that may not be true for everyone that they need that or can function with that kind of feedback. Um, but I do love a good tough love and honest truth, which is what the vibe I get from your work is. It's a very straightforward approach. So let's talk about how you came up with these strategies and, and, and how they've developed over time.
1: For sure, yeah. I mean, you definitely get the vibe um, down correctly. I, I, you know, it's just kind of my personality. Right. And I think some of it is just the fact that like, if you deal with this stuff for long enough, like you can't beat around the bush with yourself anymore. You know, it. I, I was on a podcast last night and we were talking about um, Ray Dalio's book principles, and he's got five principles that you lay, that he lays out for like, you know, just living a good life and, and whatnot. And the first one is, is like embrace reality and deal with it. And what he is trying to say is that, you know, if you're beating around the bush if you're not being honest with yourself obviously there like there there may be pain associated with with confronting reality like we we obviously have to put that on the table but if we in time like let's say 10 years go by and we still haven't confronted whatever this reality is whether it's anxiety and depression we are not getting ourselves the information that we need enable to to be able to learn and then move forward more quickly right so for me it was like after a short amount of time right after like a couple panic attacks i was like what the f is going on let's figure this out right because you your tolerance i think for you know with with how strong these emotions can be like if they take over your life you're like hold on a second i need to get back to my life right so broadly speaking that is kind of the approach in terms of the strategies and whatnot it's sort of like you know ah little bit of an amalgamation of everything, right? It was as I was getting a little bit older, like going through college and then going through sort of like young professional life and whatnot, I would he- ha- you know, hear a TED talk, I would read a different book, I would read a journal article, I would go to therapy, and I would hear these different strategies that people had put forth. And for me, what I wanted to do, right? And this is where I sort of, I wouldn't say force, but I, I kind of bring it, I, I, What's the right word? I, 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 I guess force is the only word I can think of at the moment, but I sort of um, bring in the software development side of of my background, right? And I say, I quote unquote, A, B tested or split tested a lot of these different ideas and strategies. So I would, you know, for example, I'd read a book and somebody says, go to a situation that makes you anxious and do some deep breathing, right? Do box breathing, breathe in deeply, make sure you get a deep exhale. And I would go to those situations. I would try that out and I would see how that made me feel. And then I'd go to a different situation and I would not try that out. Maybe I'd tried something else, right? And the the idea of split testing, right? In, in the software development space is to say, we're going to give people different experiences that all try to measure the same thing. So in this case, it would be, the the measurement is like how anxious were you? Right. And so the treatment, quote unquote treatment, not, you know, not medical treatment, but the the experience that you have or the the treatment that you apply is that strategy. And so what I did over the course of like 10 years was I took all these different tactics and I said to myself, I'm trying this one out and I'm trying that one out. And which ones work the best? And then, you know, my first book basically became a curation of all those different strategies and saying, I've whittled them down. And I'll even talk about some of the ones that I feel don't work. And I'll explain why that's the case, but then we're going to focus on the ones that I think do work the best and we're going to talk about them.
0: That's interesting. And, you know, therapy, counseling, you know, coaching, it is not a one-size-fits-all situation. Um, not, and and that's that's why a lot of times people will go see a counselor one time, and they're like, that doesn't work for me. And the fact of the matter is, is that that strategy didn't work for them, or that environment didn't work for them, because we're all unique individuals, right? So we all have these different personalities. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, well, while, while you're talking, I'm like, you have the brain of a software developer. And I know that brain because I married one of those brains. Like I get it. Like they are very um, straightforward, very logical, very left side. Um, But then you have people like me, I'm more of a mid brain, so I could go either way. But when it comes to emotional things, I when I'm female. So, you know, there's that playing in my field, but also the right side of the brain is just a little more in control at times, and so there are strategies that would work for you that would not work for me, and vice versa. And so um, I'm just wondering if you've taken into consideration any kind of personality um, situation where you come up and say, you know, this didn't work for me, but it could work for someone with this kind of personality.
1: It's a good question. You know, I think unfortunately, I sort of I tend to say I tried this strategy out and it didn't work for me, so I'm kind of moving on and focusing on the ones that I feel are beneficial for me. And then that way I want to share them with my audience. I don't necessarily go back and say, Hey, this tactic that didn't work for me, maybe it works for somebody else. Right. One of the tactics that I talk about a lot in my writing that again, I, I, I I haven't looked at this and said who could benefit from it, but I, I know that people can. It's just that, like, I also have a lot of experience with this one where I'm like, I sort of distrust the fact that that a lot of people could. I think it would be a small small portion of people, especially, you know, talking about mental health, right? So there's this, some people will sometimes say, right, is uh, you, you may have heard a concept like this with a book like The Secret, right? Is the notion that like, if you want to create an external reality, you first need to generate it internally. And, and what that really means is like, if you want to achieve something, you need to think about it. You need to visualize it first. And I'm again, not saying that this can't work for people because I mean, the book, the secret sold a lot of books, you know, and, um, and people swear by it and whatnot. But I just know from my own experience that, so if I take that, that sort of overall school of thought and I say, I want to experience less anxiety. I want to experience less depression by, by, as a product or like as a result of me visualizing myself you know having better mental health, not being anxious, being carefree and all that what what I find happens right is so let's just let's just say we'll, we'll put a specific example to this I, let's say I have a job interview next week and I am anxious about it now maybe I'm doing it the wrong way, but I've, I've tried this out for a couple decades now and just have I just don't really feel like it works right And so what I would do is like if I were trying to try out this uh, to test out the strategy, I would say, okay, You know, I'm going to the the job interview. I see myself succeeding. I'm answering all the questions properly. I'm shaking people's hands. They're like celebrating. We're doing well. They're giving me an offer and whatnot. The problem with that strategy when it comes to anxiety, right? Is that your body has in your brain have already associated this event, this situation with fear, with anxiety, all those kinds of scary words, right? And so when you go mentally to that place, your brain is like, okay, well, I see this thing that you're trying to conjure up, but wait a second, there's all these emotions over here, right? And so the more that you go back to that scenario in your mind, the more you are either directly or indirectly focusing on that feeling. And then you know, a a lot of times what ends up happening is you end up struggling with it, right? It's like, first you're thinking about getting the job offer and then next thing you know, like some other thought pops up in your head and you're like, oh, well maybe, oh crap, maybe I'm having a panic attack. (laughs) And oh goodness, like now I got to see myself really not struggling and whatnot. And you just go into this spiral, right? And so one of the reasons I talk about this so much in my content is because it's the ethos of my brand, right? Get out of your head. One thing that I feel works for me is rather than go into the fear, right? Because a lot of times people say, what you focus on expands. It's like, if you want to experience less anxiety, do not focus on it whatsoever, right? Put your mind somewhere else, get out of your head, get back into your body. And kind of, I know it sounds so like cheesy or like, uh, dumbed down, but it's like, you got to get back into the present moment, right. And find things that are interesting around you and find ways to disconnect from that fear, from that, from all those negative emotions that are swirling inside you. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure I could ramble on further about this one. But for me, that's like, that is, if I could tell somebody, like, if somebody's like, what is the one thing that you can tell me about anxiety, I would be like, do your best to not think about it at all. And if somebody says to you, hey, you know, you're going for a job interview, you can't get a job offer. If you don't first envision it in your mind, I'd be like, that is complete garbage. Whoever told you that is a liar. Because we've all, even if we don't know it, right? We've all had situations where we surprise ourselves. If you needed to see that thing in your mind first in order to make it happen in real life, there would be no such thing as surprise. You'd be like, no, I generated this in my mind and so I knew it was always gonna be there, right? Um, But again, we sometimes surprise ourselves. So I like to say, just to wrap this point up, right, is if if you think about like your performance in a situation like this, even though it's scary and even though that fear is calling you to like go into your head, If you try your best to live in like, you know, Dale Carnegie sometimes would say in his books, live in day type compartments. I would almost say live in like minute type compartments, right? If you're making a smoothie, be making a smoothie. Think about that. Don't think about what's a week down the road, that job interview. You string those moments along, all of a sudden, I'm not saying this is always gonna happen, but maybe you get to that job interview and because you didn't ruminate the whole week, you feel kind of good. And then because you feel kind of good, maybe subconsciously you just get in there and do a great job on the interview and then you come out of it and you're like what the heck even happened i kind of just blacked out and that's the beauty of it right is getting out of your head leads to great results so
0: no you're right and that is true and i think a lot of times we we think about anxiety in such a way that it controls us but here's the thing like anxiety is rooted in fear you know like you were saying it's rooted in fear And if you think about it in the terms of like the monster hiding under the bed, right? Or in the closet and the, and the little kid is like, oh, there's a monster under my bed. And mom comes in and says no it's just this and you look under the bed and there's a tennis shoe under the bed or something they have now given name to whatever object it was that was causing them fear and anxiety so if you give your anxiety a name and say hey no i am just anxious because of the unknown whatever the case may be once you've acknowledged it it can't control you like it shouldn't be able to it, it can because we still let it because we get it in our head we, we let it control us but once we've given it a name and we can set it to the side and say this isn't something that I'm worried about right now because I can't control it and it's not going to control me. You know, we have said, okay, and, and that's how it should work. You should be able to get out of your head. And I love that um, because, but too often, especially as creatives, because I think we're just more sensitive in a lot of ways and emotional, we let it take us over because that's what how we function. That's how we create, right? We let the emotion take us over whatever good, bad, or in between. And so we have to train ourselves to stop focusing on the things we can't control. And that's hard, especially for some of us who are a little more type A than others.
1: <laughs> it's, it's really hard. and i and I don't say anything that I say to downplay that difficulty, right? It is so hard uh, and and I will put my hand up each and every day and say, "I struggle with these things, too. I am human. We are all human."
0: Absolutely. And it's not a one-time fix. Like as soon as you give it a name, it doesn't mean it's not going to come back and haunt you. But once you've acknowledged it, it's easier to deal with once you have said, hey, this is what this is. I know what it is. If you you keep working with the unknown, you can never find a solution, right? So you have to know what you're working with. You have to say, this is what I'm working with. And, And once it's outside of you, And it's much easier to, it becomes a little more tangible, even though it's not really tangible. Um, So when you're developing, you know, you had mentioned earlier, you know, therapists and that kind of thing working alongside, or at least having input in your work, Um, what kind of mental health professionals or consultants have you worked with? And do you hope to work with in the future?
1: For sure. Yeah. So I went to therapy for a while. Um, You know, it was interesting, but there are, like you said, there are specific things that they will focus on and maybe those are helpful for you and maybe they are not that is kind of you know in terms of i guess professional that is that is is sort of the degree or the extent to which i have incorporated that um you know directly into my teachings i i guess the when i say directly right is like i read a lot of books by therapists i, lo- I read a lot of books by psychologists psychiatrists and i incorporate their work and their research into a lot of my writings but in terms of like working one on one with a professional it's 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 kind of been you know a couple therapists that i've seen so
0: Okay. Um, I was just wondering, and, you know, is that something that you would do in the future is to, and I'm, I'm not volunteering, I have zero time, but I have references if you needed them. But, you know, is that something that you would want to collaborate later on with another, with a mental health professional, or are, are you good doing what you're doing? I mean, there's not a yeah. wrong answer. I just was wondering.
1: Yeah. I think the answer is kind of like wait and see, right. Is I feel like right now I'm doing all right. And i if I wasn't doing all right, I probably wouldn't, you know, I'd probably pause on some of the writing stuff. Cause it's, I, I, I want to make sure that it stays authentic and I'm not like pumping out some article and being like, you know, you got, you guys are all so great and you can, you can do it when I'm not doing it right. I want to make sure that I remain authentic at the same time. Like if I got to that place where it's like, Oh yeah, I really like to work some, with somebody again, or I feel that would be really beneficial. I would do that. Um, and I'm, it's not me saying that I don't think it's beneficial. I'm just like, right now it's kind of like, I got, I get everything tied up and I'm like, I feel like I'm in a groove and it's solid, uh, but things change and you just never know.
0: Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Um, it's just kind of one of those things that if you wanted to broaden your audience, you know, there are some people, uh, especially those who are mental health professionals and creatives, um, we kind of we kind of hold back. We have some pause, you know, until we get to know a person and what their work looks like and stands for. We kind of have pause when it comes to, you know, getting help from somebody else. We're like, oh, Or are they just trying to get our money or that kind of thing Um, until we actually get to know the person behind the work. And so um, it might, might be something to think about just, that's just my two cents. That doesn't mean anything.
1: And I mean, I honestly have toyed around with the idea of like going back to school, getting um, a clinical degree and whatnot, but there's just so many things, so many competing priorities where it's like, sure, I'd love a little bit more uh, reputability or whatever it is, but I just gotta, I gotta decide, you know, what's the most effective use of my time. So.
0: Oh, for sure. No, was just, just something that popped in my head. You said nothing was off the table. So I thought I'd throw it out there. Yeah. Um. So thinking about, you know, because we don't always see the need in ourselves for help, right? There, It's really easy to see other people struggling. So let's talk about when we see somebody struggling, you know, offering help is not always well received, but um, have you ever dealt with that where you've been like, Hey, I think you could use some help. How do you, how do you deal with that? Or have you dealt with that?
1: Yeah, that's a hard piece for sure, right? Because I think the last thing you want to do is come off as like a know-it-all, right? Mm-hmm. What you really want to do is you want to come off as somebody, and, and and this isn't like a, it's not a manipulative tactic. It's like, what is the most effective way? Because at the end of the day, what you are trying to do is help that person, right? So what is the most effective way to help that person? So for me, it's like, you know, sure, I could always run in and be like, hey, I wrote books and, you know, but I usually it's like more I try to, Just have a conversation with that person and just get to know them a little bit to the degree that i can if you know if i'm in a rush then maybe it's not possible but if i'm in the same room as somebody i'll just be like hey you know tell me how you're doing tell me like what's going on and i'm just trying to get a lay of the land right i'm not i'm absolutely not looking for a spot to come in and say hey here's my book you know it's more like i am just like i'm trying to act as an uh, you know an unlicensed therapist or just a good friend and say okay you tell me what you're you're going through, and then based on what you say, I will maybe try to provide some tips. Right? There are times where I'll talk to people, and I'm like, you know what? Uh, maybe our personalities are a little bit different, and you might not appreciate my writing. But I might say, hey, I read this other book recently that like I thought was pretty cool. So like maybe maybe check it out or something. Uh, maybe I'll send them a resource right online. It's a if it's a blog post from my blog or somebody else's. Like at the end of the day what I am trying to do. And I know, I I know I said this already, but it's like, I'm trying to help that person the best way that I can. Um, when I'm like, when I'm working on my brand, I'm kind of saying, I know that there are tons and tons of people out there who I like, I don't know who they are. I don't know their names. I don't know their faces. So I'm sort of just like taking out the fire hose and spraying it and hope that I, I, I hit some people, you know, whereas like, if you're in a room with an actual person, um, you then have to be like okay i'm we're not we're not specifically focusing on my content we're focusing on this person that i now know who this person is and what would be best for them so it's it's sort of a a nothing answer in the sense that like it's it's all so nuanced and it's all so specific to the situation that you find yourself in
0: Oh absolutely and you know would you would you consider maybe if somebody has read your book that they would be able to be that person for somebody else like they would be able to offer up suggestions or strategies to help deal with getting out of their own head
1: yeah i mean you know again at the end of the day it's it's all about what is effective what is helpful and i mean you you just look at some of the studies and some of the research that's out there and it's like there are anecdotal cases where people are like, oh, I was so anxious and I had this great conversation with my friend and I feel so much better now, right? And we're not trying to slap a label on that and say that that is therapy, but it is therapeutic, right? In the sense that like we all need relationships we all need meaningful and deep relationships and the more that we cultivate those um that can help us a lot in our you know emotional well-being and so if somebody reads any resource on the mental health front and then is able to turn and be a good friend to somebody and say hey you know i'm I'm not trying to push anything on you all i'm saying is like you know maybe it sounds like you're doing x and maybe maybe think about doing y or i i read this interesting idea like what if you tried that on for size right that is at the end of the day that is what we're really after
0: for sure, and you know, with creatives, sometimes we we do close ourselves off. Like I mentioned earlier, we become isolated and we let ourselves get shut away from those relationships, those connections. And so, I think if you have a creative friend, this would be more for the person who has a creative friend. Make sure you're checking in with them regularly because they will very easily get lost in their own head, in their own world, and and they will say, "I'm fine." And the fact of the matter is, is that we get lost in our work sometimes, which becomes our therapy, and we forgo the connection with humans where we actually find the healing that we need as, as opposed to just continually pouring from a broken vessel. And so um, I'm very, very encouraging to people who go check on your creative friends and and check on them genuinely and sincerely. So true. Yeah. Um, So are you ready to switch gears and talk about being an author and a creative? Or do you have something else you want to talk about mental health wise?
1: I say, let's do it. I'll kind of close, close this section by just saying, you know, folks who are listening, who are struggling with this stuff to the same tune of what we have been talking about, right? Is don't feel like, I hope you don't feel alone. I hope you know that there are other people out there struggling with this sort of stuff. Um, I know it's easy to say, like, you know, don't be ashamed of it and whatnot. But like, I I hope that, you know, myself and Jennifer can be something of guiding voices and say like, we're out here talking about this stuff, right? And it's not, it's, uh, there are other things that would probably be more quote unquote fun, right? To to do than sit on a podcast and say, I, you know, put my hand up and say, I deal with depression. But I do that because I really want to help people. And I hope that, you know, with us, having this conversation and kind of, you know, again, presenting that guiding voice. Hopefully folks can, can listen in and say, you know what? Okay. I know it stinks. I know it's embarrassing, but I'm not going to be ashamed to go get the help I need. Um, and lastly, like, you know, just, I guess, you know, hang in there, keep your head up, uh, things often get better. And and to be honest, like give it enough time. It, it, it will. So, uh, my heart goes out to you if you're struggling with any of these things. And I hope that you find some, some helpful information in our conversation.
0: Absolutely. And I'm going to throw this out there just for, um, I'm not volunteering Brian for anything, but I am always available. Like you can contact me through my website. You can contact me through the podcast. If you need somebody to talk to, then I'm here to listen. Like, that's what I'm good at. It's what I, it's what I made a career out of for a long time. So I'm here and I will gladly listen to your problems. I'm not going to offer up counseling, but I will listen and I will send you in the right direction and I will be your friend. And so that I can offer you.
1: <laughs> Beautiful.
0: Um, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about, let's switch gears here and talk about, since you're an author, I am always interested in hearing about other authors and their publishing process, so um talk talk about how you ended up writing a book in the first place like what what was your like, oh, I should write a book about this?
1: Yeah, so touch on it a little bit earlier, right, in the sense that like mm-hmm. let's just say I went through eight ish years of like really struggling with this stuff and then finally making some strides with it and I'm just kind of the kind of person that writes a lot. Like I take a ton of notes in my phone. If I'm listening to an audiobook, I produce these notes that are, and I, I'm, this is not a humble brag, like I'm just saying what happens, right? Because I end up writing, uh, a lot of notes on the book, and I probably take—I don't know—I a, a, create a file that's five percent the length of the book, something something silly like that. And you know, fu- funny enough, side tangent is I, I don't always go back to those notes, but I still do it anyway. So, um, you know, as I was dealing with anxiety and depression, and, and finally making some strides with it, I, I created a a word document on my computer, and I had one on my phone, and I kind of you know started combining the two and whatnot. So, I took all these different ideas that I had generated, and some of the tactics that you know I. I guess I I curated what and whatnot right and and felt actually worked and I dumped them into these different files on, on my phone or on my computer and eventually like I looked back and I was like I have so much information here I I don't know which parts of it are most valuable but but again like that I, well I, maybe not again but this is kind of the creative process and the brainstorming process right so a lot of people will say when you are brainstorming or when you are writing a first draft just quote unquote throw it up don't don't critique yourself, don't hold yourself back, just get all the ideas out there. So I basically got all these ideas out there in the form of these different documents that I had made. And then again, at some point, I kind of looked back and I was talking to people and I said, all right, this is so meaningful for me, uh, or such an important, like a big part of my life. And I just feel like, you know, I see the pain in other people. And I I feel like I need to do something with this information. So at that point, I said, wow, I, I really do have a lot of info here. What's the best medium for it? And I don't know for one reason or another. I, I, you know, I think back when I was a teenager, I was like, maybe I'll write a book about this stuff when I finally figure out what I'm doing. And so many years later it was like, Oh, I did kind of say that at one point and now I have a lot of information. So maybe let's go that route. So that was, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't directed. It wasn't really thought out. It just kind of happened in a way. And from there I was like, yep. Took all those ideas, synthesized them down, sort of did some editing of myself. Right. Uh, And then, ended up writing a first draft and a second draft and so on and so forth, and then eventually came the first book. So yeah, that that creative process was definitely undirected. Second book was much more directed. It was like, I've been through this before. I was going through a depressive episode at the time. And I mean, I struggled a lot during that, but I, you know, I, at the very least, I had the experience to say i've been through something like this in the past right where like i'm i'm dealing with a mental health issue and what i did with that again no humble brags here just just kind of laying out the experience was I got through the anxiety in one way or another, not that I don't struggle with it at times anymore, Um, but I then took that information and made a book out of it, made a brand out of it and whatnot, right? So I said to myself, I I sort of have run this playbook before, right? But just for a different affliction. So for the second book, it was like, okay, I'm dealing with this depressive episode. And while I was in it, I was like, I'm not going to write the book now because I'm I'm still struggling, but I, I was like, I am now on the lookout for things that are going to help me. And then I'm going to try those strategies out. And then once I finally feel better, or yeah, I, I don't know what the right, you know, it's it's such a subjective word, yeah. better, right? But it was like, once I feel as though I've gotten to the place that I kind of had hoped to got, to get back to, I mm-hmm. will then sit down. I will take those ideas and be like, which w- which ones were the most effective ones? How do I integrate them into a book? And uh, you know, I had more sources and more science in that second book. But yeah, that I don't know. It's kind of just like, going about living my life, seeing what inspiration strikes and then sort of uh, synthesizing it down. So that 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 was the process, I guess. Did I answer the question?
0: <laughs> you did, you did. You know, it's a, you just had so much information, you had to do something with it. And so you put it into a book and then you did it again. And so no, that, I love it. That's a great answer. Um, so, and I think anyone who has ever listened to this podcast for any amount of time, uh, just in the last year, they know my reasons for taking the self-publishing route. And for me, it was all about freedom and control. Did you also do self-publishing or did you go traditional? publishing
1: I did do self-publishing and the freedom and control were really big influences or reasons for doing that the other was to be totally honest right I didn't have a platform I didn't have any followers or anything like that and and I'll be totally honest like even though I've sold some books like I still don't have like a crazy big following so one of the unfortunate realities right is if you want to go traditional publishing route you the the publishers are going to look at you and be like more or less, like, hey, how big's your email list? How many followers do you have online? Because they are, you know, I, I guess, to give a little bit of industry info, I'm sure folks that are listening know some of this stuff is like, traditional publishers are sort of like venture capitalists, right? And they are looking around and saying, yep. it's, it's not necessarily like, oh, I like this manuscript. It's, it's more, can we take on this project, cut you a check, and then get our money back and then some. Because if they don't see that yeah. path, right? They are businesses, and if they don't see a path back to profitability, unfortunately, they're not going to take you on. So one of those criteria is is do you have that following? Do you have that platform on which your book can stand and sell a bunch of copies? So I didn't really have a choice early on, right? It was like I just want to get this out there, so I'm going to go this, uh, you know, the self publishing route. And um, yeah, I guess some of the benefits are the fact that you have that creative control. If you want to change your manuscript. You go on Amazon, you go on the different bookstores. If you use Smashwords or something like that, uh, and you can just change the manuscript. Whereas that's going to be a little bit different with traditional publishing. Same thing for like running advertisements, right? It's it's very hard for a traditionally published author to run Amazon ads because they don't they don't make as much money on each book and they don't have the the control of the account and where the book lives and whatnot. So those are some of the the uh, really really big upsides of of self publishing.
0: Oh, for sure. But what about the opposite side of it? What have you found to be like some of the biggest struggles that you you have faced as a self-published author?
1: Yeah. So the 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 most generic or the the more generic answer is just the fact that I think a lot of us, myself included, right. So I, if I go back to before I published my first book, I think probably so. I, that that book came out in 2018, and so sometime in 2018, I was like, well, if I sell the book, you know, on Kindle for ten bucks, and I make six bucks and I sell the printed copy for 15 or 20, and I make eight on that, then do the math. And to become a millionaire, I only got to sell whatever that number is, right? It, it's not actually that many. If you really do sell that many copies, it's like 150, 200,000 copies or whatever, which is a ton, but it's not like you have to go sell 10 million books to become a millionaire. And so I, I guess I would just say, like, I'm not trying to crush anyone's dreams. You should still write, and you should still go after these things if you want to, but you should also do it because of the, you should do it more so for the creative aspect of it. And the fact that you have something that you need to say than necessarily being like, I'm going to be a millionaire because of this. And what, what I'm really leading up to is the fact that we we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the show, right. Is being one of those long tail authors, or, uh, you know, I guess the, the most famous authors that sell a ton, a ton of books. That is difficult. I am not discouraging anyone. I am not saying that you can't do that. I'm just saying that it is hard. And so I think a lot of people, right? We we go online, we go on one of the bookstores and we say, oh, this book's selling really well. Like, look at this, they are an overnight success. And I think the more that you deal with the markets, right? And I mean that in terms of like selling products, building companies, like you know, I do a lot of mobile app development. So it was like getting an app higher up in the app store rankings and whatnot. I think the more that you deal with those markets you say to yourself and you see that though an overnight success it, it is i'm not saying it's impossible but it is hard right in most of the overnight successes this is kind of cliche at this point but um most of the overnight successes that you see are actually people that were unknown for 10 years grinding and hustling and working hard and then finally getting a chance or making them a name for themselves and then because nobody had heard of that person beforehand, they seem like an overnight success, even though again, they've been struggling this whole time. So that is one of the generic sort of downsides of self-publishing, which is a little bit scary, right? Is like, let's be honest. We, you know, if you put out a book and you don't tell anybody about it, or you tell your friends and family, you'll probably sell hundred copies, right? If you want to sell thousands of copies, hundreds of thousands of copies, it takes a lot of work. It takes a big platform. So you just got to keep working and working the system. Um, I guess I will quickly touch on a more specific struggle that I have dealt with in the self-publishing realm. And who knows? I mean, this could this could theoretically happen to anyone, right? Is I have got a little bit of a masterclass in the law around publishing in the last couple of years, right? And so in when was it? It was it was right around the pandemic, a book came out that had the same title as mine that sold really, 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 really well. And Amazon actually kicked me off their website because this book sold so well. And I was saying to myself, like, you know, I I had put my heart and soul into my book and all my trials and tribulations and whatnot. I was so offended and so upset. And I was like, I didn't do anything. This publisher came out, put this book out of the same name with, with, you know, I'm not trying to create too much controversy here, but a, a similar looking cover to mine. I was like, I felt ripped off. And I also felt like, I got the short end of the stick where Amazon, like I'm like, how did Amazon not see that my book had been out for years before this book, right? And so what ended up happening was I worked with a lawyer and he was like, look, if this is your brand and you want to protect it, you got to you know, create a trademark, you got to file for one, you got to get it approved and all that. And so you spent a lot of money getting a trademark created and um, getting that approved. The, the difficulty, right, is that even if, so a couple pieces, one is you can't trademark the name of a book, it's just like not in the law. That's like not how it works. You can trademark the name of a brand, right? So it's like, if you think about it, it's it's a mark that is used in trade as in like you sell it, right? Or you sell products with that mark on it. And so if you want to be able to trademark something related to if you're an author, right? You then either need to put out multiple books in a series with the same name, the brand name, or you need to like create a brand that then you sell merch for and you have, you know, courses and whatnot. And so the other, like that, that takes a lot of work, right? The other difficult part is even after your trademark is granted, you still need to protect it. And so I'll, I guess I will just say that, you know, I'll kind of leave the details out, but like have contacted the publisher who, who put out this book and then used the mark on a different product. And what, and me and my lawyer were like, that's a big, no, no, you can't put it on another product. Um, and unfortunately, right everything is a business. And so the people with the big pockets, and I'm not trying to sound too like conspiratorial or like screw the system or anything yeah. like that. It's just that nobody is going to sit there and be like, you know what? Sorry, little Brian, here's a million dollars for your time and your efforts and your, you know, your pain. Um, they are going to fight tooth and nail to pr- quote unquote protect whatever it is that they have. Um, and so for me, that was a difficult trial by fire to be like, okay, maybe I don't know exactly how this works. And maybe like creating and protecting a brand is harder than I thought it was going to be. At the same time, I know that if I had started, if I had created the trademark a couple of years before that, my standing would have been a little bit better. Not that I wouldn't have had to have pay um, to protect it because you always do. But at the very least, my case would be stronger. And then maybe my lawyer would be like, yes, we are definitely bringing this case, you know? Um, so the the reason why I talk about all that, even though yes, sure, I I am big mad about it and all that, um, I don't say it just to like, you know, to get a rise out of people or to like say, woe is me or anything. It's more that, okay, if you are listening and you are a publisher or, or you know, you're an author and whatnot. If you plan on creating a new book series with multiple books in it, and this is your baby and this is your pride and joy, and you're like, okay, maybe you know, maybe one day it, it, you, you'll find out, like, maybe you'll you'll find the success you want, maybe you won't. But if you plan on having that success, what regardless of what ends up happening, I, I, I was going to say implore, but I'll use a, a less harsh word. I would suggest that you think about filing a trademark for that brand, right? If, if you are writing the adventures of Timmy and Sally, um, part one and part two and part three, think about protecting that brand because from day one, if you do that and then somebody else comes out with the adventures of Timmy and Sally, you have something that you can defend more easily. So don't like, don't get yourself into some of the trouble that I did. Uh, again, not that it's not expensive and not that it's not difficult and time consuming, but just kind of put your best foot forward because again, right, this is your creative works are your baby and. You got to do everything you can to protect those. So that's kind of the end of my rant there.
0: No, that's a great rant. And it's something that I have talked about um, a few episodes back. I was talking to her name is Alyssa Hecker. She's an entertainment lawyer. And one of the first, like one of her main pieces of advice is protect your work. Like from the very beginning, as soon as you start putting the words on the page, you know, that that work needs to be protected and not just with copyright. Like it needs to be, a it, you you can't get it back, especially, especially her biggest thing is right now is with AI, like with all of the AI stuff that's going on, and and all of the the theft that's happening, or you know, the just blurring the lines of morality and immorality, if you will, um, like protect your work because you can't get it back easily sometimes, and and so if you just start with that mindset, hey, it needs to be protected. So yes, and then um, I had another guest, his name is Alan Taylor. And he is—he's um, an expert on Web3 social, which is not something that I was even familiar with until he brought it up. Um, but that's another way to protect your work—not just through trademark, but also you can use the Web3 um, type deal to to kind of tag your work and make money off of it. So that's kind of a cool thing um, that people can talk about and think about. I don't know—are you familiar with Web3?
1: A little bit. Yep. I mean, blockchain and uh, yeah. you know, sort of like decentralized stuff. Yeah, a little bit.
0: Yeah, he, um, he was talking about how um, he uses it to, you know, again, you you basically tag your work. And so once it's out there, yes, it can be transferred and that kind of thing, but it's still originally yours. And so I thought that was a pretty cool thing. I'd never heard of it. And so we've been doing a lot of research on how to utilize that kind of thing when it comes to especially electronic and digital work, that kind of thing. So um, it's pretty interesting. Uh, And then going back to what you said earlier, I think a lot of times our imposter syndrome comes from when we start looking at people who were quote overnight successes. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is we don't know their story. So never assume that, you know, somebody's story, never assume that, you know, the struggles because you have your own struggles that you're dealing with and you think it's just not fair. They got it so easy. You don't know if their, their struggles were 10 times worse than yours. Like, no, absolutely not. So um, I think that as creatives, and that's a lot of times where those expectations come from as we start comparing ourselves to other people who have had some modicum of success, even though. We don't know what it took for them to get there, so um yeah, get out your own head and and start working on your work and leave their stuff out of it, you know um so you have only written nonfiction so far. Have you ever dabbled in the fiction world?
1: I have not i I honestly don't anticipate it I mean maybe if if something struck me sure, but I for the most part, it's like I get my fiction fixed through reading harry potter and and that's pretty good for now that's pretty good for now that's fantastic for now
0: oh yeah <laughs> harry potter will take you like once you end it you start back at the beginning and keep going and that's one of the best, that's an example of one of the authors who you know you think she was an overnight success based on the success she has had but it took what 12 years before the first one was published and you know of her writing on trying to get it out there and it took her a good 12 years now apparently that 12 years paid off because you know she's she's got some money in the bank but you know that was that was a story of you can't compare yourself to that you can't say it's not fair because she had her own struggles as well no doubt um <laughs> uh also this is just kind of a funny tidbit you um we're talking about how it we're not really in this to make money you, like you write for yourself because you love writing and you love stories and that kind of thing um i had i had posted a stitch on tiktok the other day where um these guys were being interviewed and they were like, how much does your wife need to make, um, you know, bring home? And they were like 60K. And I laughed and I said, well, then tell them not to marry an indie author because it was the beginning of the month and my KDP sales were like $12. And uh, somebody was like, oh, you only have to sell 417 more books. And I was like, holy crap, like that'll never happen. You know, that's that's immediately my thought was, I can't do that. Like, that's not gonna, (laughs) but anyway, yeah, people think that you go into writing for money. You don't,
1: you absolutely do not you don't. And and if, if something better becomes of it, then the money, or like, you know, if, if you go in for the, the emotion, the excitement, the craft, and if something else, right, if if money comes in, then that's great, but it's, it's hard to rely on that.
0: It is. And, you know, good on you. If you can make that happen, I'm, I'm happy for you and very proud of you. If that's what happens for you. Um, so let's talk about marketing real quick. Um, how do you market your work? Because I don't know anything about marketing nonfiction. It may be a totally different ball game, but how do you market your work?
1: Yeah, combination of different things. So kind of what I wanted to preface with was the notion that like you could always spend money, right? Anybody, and I'm not saying that everybody has the money, but like if you wanted to and you were like, I'm gonna take my life savings and I'm gonna throw it into advertising or whatever, like that is an option. But um, one, I, I don't know if that's always the the best option. And two, for most people, right? Like, especially if you're an author. You, you probably don't have that much to work with. And I'm not saying that, you know, looking down on on anybody. It's just the reality of the situation, right? Because if we were selling millions of books, like kind of, again, a chicken and an egg kind of thing, where it's like, if we were already selling millions of books, uh, then we'd have some money. But but how did we sell those millions of books if we didn't have any money to advertise anyway? Uh, so what I like to focus on, right, is like folks who are listening, who are self-published authors, um, and even traditionally published authors but like folks who are listening to this podcast right um it would be amazing if tony robbins were listening to your podcast but i would kind of assume that that is not the case right so we are we are talking to a different um different clientele different kind of kind of market and so what i think we want to focus on is sure you could spend that money if you had it or whatever right but i think most people will get the most out of us talking about cost efficient strategies and so Unfortunately, I think, but fortunately or unfortunately. So the good news is if you don't have a lot of money to market your work, you can still market your work. The the unfortunate part of that is that it's going to take a little bit of hustle. Right. So the the hard work is in replacement of the money, I guess, if you will. So the first thing, and it's it's pretty apropos or whatever the right word is, you know, we're on this conversation right now get on some podcasts, do some hustling on that front. So, you know, there's a bunch of different tools out there that help you connect mm-hmm. with other podcast hosts or or just podcast hosts if you're not one yourself. So like uh there's podcast guests, there's pod match, there's a there's a list that I have on my computer somewhere. I'm I'm blanking on a couple of the other ones. But for example, right? So like podcast guests, you pay a small, a relatively small amount of money. It's like a hundred bucks a year to be on this listserv. And then twice a week, they send out a list of people who are looking for guests. And if you feel as though you qualify for that podcast or you could contribute to that podcast, you click on the podcast or you know the link that is provided in the email and then you reach out to that host and you say hey this is what i would like to contribute to your show or you write a nice little message um trying to prove that you know your appearance would be valuable so getting on some podcasts, that is that is one way to do it right again there's some of the, some of those other services check out podmatch some of my friends use that and like that uh, but you could also if you were really ambitious you could cold email people you could cold linkedin people right i was on a show a few uh i guess it was last year um with, her name's Anna B. David, and she she has a pretty popular show called um, On Good Authority. And I had listened to it for a long time and gotten a ton of valuable marketing tips out of it. And I just wrote to her and I was like, hey, been listening to your show for a couple of years, love it. Like, Here are some of the things that I've learned and implemented and whatnot. Would love to come on your show and talk about XYZ. And she actually responded and was like, I'd love to have you. And so- I'm not saying that's going to work all the time, but if you show, right, that you are adding value and not just being like, "Can I come on my show to talk about your book?" Mm-hmm. you will you'll make an impression on that person and you might make them want to respond. So that's I guess strategy number 1 is just getting on some podcast episodes talking about your work but in an effective way, right? I'm not trying to come on here and be like, hey book 1 is named this and here's the URL and here's the price it's we're having a conversation we're talking about some of the topics that are in the books if those are helpful for folks i invite them to check them out but also but like first and foremost is we're just trying to have a a conversation that that adds value to the audience so right. We'll go with the podcasting thing. We'll, we'll put a pin in that one. A um, couple other things that we could talk about real quick. So, there's like these book promotion services that sometimes people use. There is a website called Readsy, R E E D S Y. Um, they have a cool list that's like curated where it's basically like maybe the top 20 or 100 different lists that you can pay for, right? So, basically, they have email lists that are already set up, maybe 10,000 followers, maybe 100,000 followers and you submit your book to these lists, and you pay a small amount of money for, for most of them. I, if you get on like BookBub, which is kind of the creme de la creme, you pay a lot of money. Um, but if you get on like, I think it's Fussy Librarian or um, trying to think of some of the other ones, kind of blanking mm-hmm. on E! e- News Reader Today or something like that, You uh, Robin Reads, you'll pay a smaller amount for them to take your book and essentially blast it out in their newsletter. Um, you will have to... Drop the price of your book because it's a it's a promotion service, right? It's not just like a an email uh, hit, if you will. So you you have to discount your book for a a specified period of time, so that way they're like, look, we're sending these emails out to our readers. We're not sending out twenty dollar books and and twenty books in each email to everyone because that that would cost so much money. And how to you know how do people read all those books and spend all that money and whatnot? But uh, it's an effective tool, right? the The goal with those with those services is. So you're going to get, if you get on one of them, you're going to get a spike in traffic or a spike in sales. You want to try to capture that spike in whatever way that you can, right? Because like if you're, if the algorithms, you know, if you want the different algorithms at like Amazon and Barnes and Noble and the bookstores to maybe pay attention to your book, you need to string along a little bit more success than just like one day one-off, right? And so there is the notion of like you could string a bunch of those promotional services together. So you could say on Monday, we're hitting this one. On Tuesday, we're hitting that one. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you you string a bunch of those together, and then you sell well for like five days in a row. And maybe that helps your book sustain success for a little while. The other thing that you could do, right, is you could use a service like that to Capture, let's say, like people's emails. So maybe you put a, you know, a, a lead magnet or a call to action at the beginning of your book that says, like, "Thanks for buying this book. If you want an additional piece of information that I can provide you, like maybe it's a, you know, an ebook, or maybe it's um, you know, an audio book, or a, a something that's that you recorded that's on tape, a video, whatever. Go to my website, punch in your email, I'll send that to you. You are adding more value to that reader or listener if it's an audio book or something like that." But also they are providing you with an email address. And, you know, I I I really hate to to say that everything is economics because it's not. But like yes. if you think about it, right, it's like people pay for eat like people may say, I'll pay, you know, a thousand dollars for a thousand email addresses. And so in a way, what you are kind of trying to do or what you are doing is you're saying, I'm paying 40 bucks for that promo site. I'm hoping that I sell x number of books at a discount. I make my money back on that, and then I'm also hoping that the value that I create on top of that. So if I, if it's you collecting extra email addresses, uh, maybe you collect ten more and you say they're all worth a buck, and then maybe your, um, I guess n- not not the money in your pocket per se, but maybe the what what would what would you call that? Like the effective. Cost to you, or the the effective yeah. profit to you, um, you you made a little bit of money. Even again, even though it might not necessarily be in your pocket. The last thing that I'll talk about, and then we can you know we can discuss some of these things is um, this one's a little out there, but it it definitely works for folks. Is so like if you've ever been on the website Quora, which is sort of like a question and answer site. Um, you can go on there and you can kind of say create a profile and say you know I am this expert or I am uh, I'm a subject matter expert in this particular domain and then you just go and answer questions related to your topic of expertise yeah. and again it's, you're not doing it to be like hey buy my book it's more like you're trying to just build a platform for yourself and then maybe in this specific market people are like wow, I keep stumbling across Jennifer's answers. Like, who is this woman? And then they look and they're like, wow, like she's pretty legit, you know? And so again, it's just trying to create a little bit of a following, trying to get your name out there and whatnot. But the methods that I talk about, the reason I want to talk about them, right? Because in the self-publishing space, we are probably not dealing with huge, huge budgets. Most of, all three of these, like they don't require a ton of money. They do require work, right? You got to plan some stuff out. You got to write some stuff down. Um, You got to reach out to people, put your heart and soul out there a little bit. But if you are willing to put in the work, uh, you can definitely get some of the returns that you're seeking.
0: Absolutely, and it, and it is a grind. It is a daily grind that you have to commit to, and and having a plan will help you stick to it. Um, but you do have to make the commitment. It's not a one-off type deal because, um, you are talking about there are multiple, like you were saying, different platforms. Uh, written word media is another one that's pretty good. Of it, they have what they, um, I think, what are they called? Book stacks that they're doing now, which is the the promos for different genres, and I think they just set out and sent out a whole new, um collection of them for like they're taking submissions for their book stacks to send out in emails and then book funnel does what you're talking about with collecting emails and that kind of thing you can provide your free this is and it's what i do is i have um like you can read the first two chapters of both of my books for free um but i get your email address you know it's and so it's a win-win everybody's winning you get to decide if you want to read the rest of the book and i get your email address one way or the other Um, and so then they know what's coming later down the line Um, and then brian cohen does a free amazon ads class it's like a five-day class and it's not as detailed you know it doesn't go into all the details of amazon ads but it's a really good one for getting started and it's free and so um you do have to pay for amazon ads like you have to pay for the ads that you put up or whatever but his class is free and so finding resources like that where people who are experts can get you on the path to say hey um this is a good place to start that is an excellent place to to go um, when you're just getting started we're to the point now we're going to flip the script you are now the host of the show for some questions so um i turn it over to you
1: this will be great because i feel like i i talk a lot and it'll be nice to get some questions already so one so one of the things that i i had written down i guess i was thinking of it in terms of writing you could answer it if you want in the context of writing or in the context okay. of podcasting is what are what are some of your rituals whether they're like you know drinking coffee or like going for a run or whatever like what helps get you in the mindset of being like I want to write I want a podcast
0: I can guarantee you it will never be go for a run so you can just take that (laughs) right off your list (laughs) um I tried that one time I didn't like it so we didn't do it again no um uh okay so as far as writing goes I have to Uh, and I was actually talking about this yesterday with somebody, they were like, um, how do you do all the things that you do? And I'm like, not well, like there are lots of things that fall through the cracks. Um, So if I have been in, because they're two totally different entities, writing and podcasting, they require two totally different um, plans and mindsets when I'm doing it. Uh, And so like I have a planner here and I have a planner in front of me on the wall and I have a to-do list over to my left. And so, um, and most of that, revolves around the podcast. And so if I am knee deep in any of those things, I can't write. There's no creativity whatsoever because I am focused. It's a very business-like mindset. I have to have the outline. I have to have the emails. I have to have the follow-ups and all of this stuff. Um, and I have to do the scheduling and and what have you. And so um, if I'm podcasting, I have to get in a very I have to be in a very professional, I guess, mindset is what I have to do. Um, you know, I have fun, I'm casual, I'm laid back, but getting up to that point is very like tunnel vision. When I'm writing, I um, all of that has to be far separated. I have to take like an hour break. If I have a morning call with somebody, I can't write until the afternoon because I have already, I have to process everything that's already happened. And so, but once I've done that, um, I can sit here in front of the computer and I can, you um, I can type like that's I tried this afternoon I tried to, uh, writing some things this afternoon and words just were not happening because I knew what was coming. And so I probably wrote about 50 words and I don't even know what those words were honestly I haven't read them again and so, um, but I have to, I have to be free to be creative in order to write otherwise it doesn't happen so but other than that i don't really have rituals i have things like i don't listen to music with words if there are words with the music i can't focus because i want to write what i'm singing because i'm listening and so um but but really i don't have requirements or anything like
1: that cool i definitely like the answers and i feel like (sighs) i i I get to that same point too where i'm like i look at my to-do list and i'm like oh i gotta do this i gotta do that and it There's just something about like clearing the path and being like once I'm done, which which is a little dangerous because there's always new things stacking up on the to-do list. Yes. But you're like, I'm clearing the path and then like I'm shutting off my phone and I'm writing. And then that way, like nothing can pull you out of that. Right. Or at least like it's it's harder to get pulled out of it. So yeah, really Mm -hmm. interesting. The the only other question that I I wanted to send your way, it's more on the writing front. And I think probably folks that are listening will will have dealt with this or would be curious as to the answer, would would be. So let's say, I guess the first part of the question is, do you ever deal with writer's block? And if you do, what are some of the ways that you work through it?
0: Um, literally, I walk away from it, and and you know I've, I've dealt with writer's block on different levels. Right, there are different. Um, is it is it like a big roadblock? Yes, I've had that one in my second book. I got. I had the first part written, I had the end written. And I was like, how the heck am I gonna connect these two pieces? Because I knew what I wanted to happen in the end. And the beginning was the pickup from the first book. And so it was like, hey, no big deal, no problem. But that middle, oh my goodness, it was a disaster. And so I would inch my way towards it And then I'd go to the end and I'd kind of work my way backwards. And it was, it was really bizarre because I'm a very, like, I am a type, a very organized person, except when it comes to my writing, it is all over the place. And so, um, I literally got so frustrated. Um, I I was, I was texting with my editor and was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I have no idea what to do. And she was like, then don't do anything. And I was like, I can't do that. It won't get finished. She was like, it's your book. It's your schedule. You can choose not to do anything, and I was like, "Oh, you're right." And so I I walked away from it, and it was probably a month. I probably didn't touch it again for a month, and I came back to it and was like, "Huh, words." And so I wrote it, and then I sent it out to beta readers, and it came back, uh, and I you know I gave them three weeks I think to read it, and when I came back to it, I was like, I read their feedback, and I read the middle of the book again, and I went now I know it needs to change. And so honestly, when it comes to writer's block or creativity block, whatever that is, sometimes it's the best in your best interest and the best interest of the art to just walk away from it and just set it to the side. Now, if you're on a deadline, that's a little bit different, I think, um, which, you know, that sometimes comes with the territory, if there is a deadline, because with my first editor, this, you know, my second editor is, very, very different. And I have a little more control because she's my sister, but the first editor, um, we were on a deadline. And so it was like, okay, you have two weeks to finish this too. And I didn't like that pressure at all. I did not care for those deadlines. And so, um, which is funny because in my personal life and in the podcasting world, I very much so like deadlines and dates and due dates and that kind of thing. I'm like, let's do that. But with my writing, I can't do that. And so, um, it's some, but, but walking away, if it's an option, Walk
1: away from it. That's what I do. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and the deadlines yeah. are crazy. You know, just like personal experience, I have been over the last it's getting close to two years, but obviously I can only spend so much time because I'm doing the full time software development. But I'm trying to go back and touch up my first book just because it's it's been out for five years now. I just want to improve it and add a couple yep. things, whatever. And the amount of times, like it's all self imposed deadlines, but the amount of times that people have asked me, they've been like, "Oh wow, yeah, you've been working on that for a while. Like, when are you going to be done?" The amount of times that I have said I'll be done within a couple of weeks and then like six months go by, it's happened so many times. And I'm like, yeah. maybe part of that is a product of the fact that I am not a full-time writer. And so I, I can't spend 60 hours a week on it, but I'm just like, if I were a full-time writer and a publisher gave me a deadline, I don't know what I would do. Like my, I, I go, I go crazy in those States, you know? So I don't know that, that, that would seem difficult to me. So.
0: Yeah, no, that's, it's a lot of pressure because, you know, for me, if now when I was in grad school and I was writing research papers, I could spit those puppies out the night before I could, you know, 25 pages, whatever, it, because it was facts, it was information. It wasn't me trying to be creative. I was taking information and and, and information and regurgitating it or, um, you know, finding my own things to go along. And it, it was, it was a very different world. Whereas I have to be able to get lost in my imagination for a few hours at a time when I'm writing fiction. And I mean, I'm a mom and we live on a farm and I have responsibilities outside of the home. You know, like I've got a lot of things going on. I wear a lot of hats. And so um, if if there's anything distracting me and I can't get lost in my imagination, then it's just not gonna happen.
1: Yeah, it's it's it, like, I think kind of to sum it up, right? Is writing, although it's very, rewarding and it can really help us on the mental health front and it can be it can just you can get that triumph right when you get it right there are unfortunately like the the difficulties of being in the trenches and being like wow i thought i had this paragraph this chapter i thought i had it right and i've read it 16 times now and all of a sudden i just realized that it's totally wrong Yep. That is, that is such a humbling experience. So anyway, I'll leave that there. I have one one more question that I wanted to okay. ask you, just because you know of the the, the subject of the conversation. So mm-hmm. we talked about mental health a bunch on this podcast, and you sprinkled in some some nuggets of wisdom. What would you say? And and, and I'll leave it open ended. What would you say to folks who are you know struggling with mental health stuff on, on the creative side, or um, or is there anything that you do to help with your own mental health? In those situations, like again, kind of giving you blue sky. Maybe that's helpful. Maybe it's not. I don't know.
0: No, it's good. Um, So I will say personally, um, I think acknowledging the fact that I'm struggling. I actually, I was talking to my best friend today, and you know, I've I've been dealing with a head cold since last Thursday that just will not shake. Like I've got, it feels like I've got a frog in my throat. It's ridiculous. And so, um, and I told her, I said, I can't tell if I feel like I'm moving toward. A depressive hole, or if I'm still sick, like I can't tell. But the fact that I can say this could be an option, this could be a possibility in the near future. One, I've said it to myself. Two, I've said it to someone else, and she was like, Are you okay? And I'm like, I'll let you know. But now she knows to check back in with me. And so to have those people on your team, in your corner, whatever you want to say. Um, at least one person, you know, and, and they don't need to know the ins and the outs, just let them know that I might be struggling, and and let it be somebody that you trust, like, you know, build your tribe, build your community, whatever you need to do, um, but have those people there, so that, and, and so that's what I do, you know, I make sure that somebody, sometimes it's my husband, I'm like, hey, I am feeling a little depresso today. Like we got to work on something. Um, You know, I need you to, I need you to pick up some slack here for me because I'm, I'm trying um, whatever. So just having those people you can be super honest with and, and that you can trust with that. Um, And then as far as encouragement, it goes along the same lines. Like, don't be afraid to admit that you need help. That is something that for the longest time, like I was raised in a home where you just weren't praying hard enough. You know, if you were dealing with depression or anxiety, you just needed to pray harder. And it was like, you know, cause that was, that was kind of the mentality of it. And it took me a long time. I mean, it was probably, I guess, about 14 years ago when I fell into my really, like really bad, it was, it was postpartum depression, borderline psychosis. If I'm just going to be completely transparent, like it sure. was bad, it was ugly. And, um, and it got to the point where if I hadn't asked for help, either me my daughter or either of us neither of us would be here today you know what I'm saying like it was it was that ugly and so I had to get to that point where I had to realize that it was help or it was worse you know and so and and I couldn't afford worse there were there were too many things at play that worse was not going to be an option I came to my senses and so just know that there is no shame in asking for help because, oh my gosh, the difference it can make when you get the right help for the issue that you're struggling with. So um, acknowledge that you have issues and get help. That that, that's sum it up that way.
1: (laughs) That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. All right. I'm going to take the reins back because I want to ask you how listeners can connect with you and your work.
1: Yeah, I think the best place to go to is my website which is getoutofyourhead.com. So there's no dashes, no spaces in that. It's all one word. You can find the books online, you know, if you go to the various retailers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble and whatnot, but I usually point people to my website just because then you know you'll you're you will know that you're in the right place and all the resources are linked there and whatnot. So yeah, that's getoutofyourhead.com.
0: Perfect. And we'll make sure the link is in the show notes. And so it'll be as simple as clicking a link and all right, you've had all this time to think of the answer to the big question. So it's the same question I ask every guest and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say, but what is the one piece of advice or encouragement you want listeners to walk away with if they hear
1: nothing else this evening? Sure. There are so many things. It's hard to really yes. choose one. But I, I had kind of thought about this question a little bit, so I have an answer, uh, and it was the notion of right, like meaningful work is something that so many of us strive for, and in today's modern economy, it's like if you have meaningful work, you are blessed, right? And and I'm not I'm not saying that to be like, hey, you, you're blessed, like you know, but it, it, like it, like looking down on that person, I'm just saying like that is what we all are looking for, and it's hard to find. But if you are a creative. Then you have the capacity for meaningful work already embedded in your DNA. And that comes through, unfortunately, sometimes needing to co- course through your emotions, right? And we said at the beginning of the show, sometimes beautiful pieces of art are created as a product of those negative or difficult emotions. So, all of that is to say that if you harness those emotions, even if, even though it is sometimes difficult, not only can you find that meaningful work, right? It's like, I can't really describe exactly why it's meaningful for each single person. All I can say is that like, if you are constantly creating work that is a product of those emotions, I guarantee you, you're going to be like, this is so meaningful for me because it's, it's helped. It's cathartic. It's helping me work through my emotions. I'm then doing amazing things. I'm, I'm creating things that almost like I feel as though I'm called to do, right. It's, it's almost like this soul work. So if you listen to those emotions, um, I would I would venture to say it probably won't just change your life. It will also probably change a lot of other people's lives. So focus on those emotions, create that awesome work that uh, you know is inside of you. And, and that's what I have to say.
0: That's perfect. That's the perfect way to wrap this up, Brian. Thank you so much for being here and having this conversation. I know that um, it took us a minute to get there. But we got here, and I think we made it worth our while and everyone else's. So I'm really excited um, to see what's coming in the future. You got any books, you know, that you're planning to write after after we have this really great conversation? I mean, I'm, I'm happy to contribute. No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have it. I have like a general, like I have a very, very loose idea for like part three of the series. Nice. I don't have much fleshed out at all. So I don't know if that will ever happen. I don't know if it'll happen in two years, five years. I do know that I'm spending a lot of time on that that edit of my first book. So that's kind of first and foremost. And then I think after that is really like trying to fine tune the brand, work on SEO, may, maybe start a podcast, just trying to get more content out there and whatnot, trying to drive traffic to the books that I already have. In time, it would be awesome to write another book, but I'll be honest, right? I'm 33. It's like at some point in this near future, I, I'm i single, but I'm like, I would like to start a family at some point. And once that hits, as you know, right, it's like all of a sudden you go from, oh, I'm so busy to like, no, I'm drowning, you know? So we'll see if that third book happens. I would like it to, but um, I don't know what the future holds. So,
0: well, it's going to be bright, whatever it is. I'm really excited about the work that you are doing. And I think it's going to help the right people, the right people that need it will find it. And so thanks for doing the work and making it such a worthy cause.
1: Thanks, Jennifer. I appreciate you having me on. Great combo.
0: Absolutely.